We are back with a new episode. Sorry for the long delay. We're hoping to get back and get consistent. Uh, AT life and just life in general got in the way, trying to figure out schedules. Uh, for me personally, having a new physician's clinic schedule has been fantastic, but uh, took away a little bit of the freedom I had during the day um, around patient appointments. So um, finding time for podcasts has been interesting to say the least. That being said, we are on with another AT who has a physician schedule. That's Dan Rudiman, who is an AT that works in orthotrauma out in Colorado. This is a very interesting episode in a setting that, yes, ATs are definitely in the physician practice, but this one's just a little bit different. Um, and Dan is very passionate about it and has some great insight. Uh, I personally learned a lot, which was great for my own trying to figure out this new setting for me and how to make the most of it. So really good if you're interested in this setting to check that out. We are still going with the Throw a Lifeline giveaways that we're trying to do and raise money for. We are really close to getting our first one out the door. We're going to bring that one to the finish line here and get that out to some deserving athletic trainer that needs it to help provide the best quality of care. If it's something that you're interested in contributing to, please Go to clinicallypress.com backslash throw a lifeline. Any donation helps five bucks, ten bucks, whatever you feel like you can contribute. We really appreciate it. We'll keep coming up with ways from this end to put any money that we create and generate to that. So, without further ado, please enjoy this episode. episode of Athletic Training Chat. We are on with Daniel Rudiman, who, man, it seems like a really long time now, because it is. Um, we connected on Twitter, and then I've been meaning to get this going, but in my trying to figure out what my schedule is in a new role, I have not done a great job of connecting, but we finally got together, and we are going to be talking ATs and physician practice. Um, as we were talking off air, this is really of interest to me. Um, not only because it's very interesting for the profession, but it's something I've moved into myself after being in the collegiate university setting for the last 10 years. So um, looking really for looking forward to picking up my own personal information out of this along with sharing with everybody else. Uh, but before I keep going on, I am going to turn it over to Daniel to fill us in on his background and how he ended up where he is today. And then we'll get more into ATs in the physician setting. Awesome. Thank you, Joel. Hey, my name is Dan Rudiman. I'm um, from Aurora, Colorado, and I work at the University of Colorado Hospital um, in the orthopedic trauma uh, department there. Um, I've been doing the physician practice setting pretty much solidly for the last 19, 20 years. Um, I kind of did the non-traditional route. So I uh, went to an unaccredited um, athletic training program in Nebraska and did the whole 1800 hours in like a year and a half um, student athletic training role driving to events and stuff like that and realistically only had two athletic training classes um, to my repertoire of, of all the things that I've been able to accomplish and it's two classes so um, just kind of got interested in it because I broke my ankle when I was 15 playing basketball and just kind of the whole rehab aspect and I think a lot of us have that similar story of you know, an injury and the rehab and being able to uh, give back and um, the other kind of like non-traditional thing for me is uh, being that I didn't really know a whole lot about athletic training, but I thought I did. Um, I took the test way more than just one time. I took it six times. It took me to pass the test. And, and I always tell people about that story just because, you know, everybody kind of, you know, thinks, oh, I have to pass it first. You know, yeah, we want our cohorts to be as close to 100% as possible. Um, have that pass rate, you know, but I'm, I'm here to prove to people that, you know, I, I just didn't give up. My mentors didn't give up. Um, 
I sought the uh, the help of a lot of people to try and figure it, figure this thing out and try and, and do it. And here I am 20 years later, still practicing athletic training. So it's just a testament to the people that were supporting me and uh, kind of driving me in, in my own personal drive to figure this thing out called athletic training. So um been working um kind of in that physician practice setting for for off and on like you know around that 20 year mark i have a little bit of experience in the high school setting um college just just in my undergrad i don't have any other experience with that um so it's always interesting for me to kind of share this side of things because if you were here to tell me about kind of like the high school or the collegiate setting i'd be just as interested because i'm almost kind of clueless to how that setting goes and and stuff like that. So I think it's actually pretty cool to kind of have these podcasts out there to kind of give insight, uh, personal insight to kind of people's journeys. Um, I think we all have a lot of similarities, but we all have quite a few differences as to where we um, where we are in our journey um, and what got us to athletic training. But yeah, I've been at the University of Colorado Hospital for seven years and work with orthopedic trauma and you know, I have experience and I've scrubbed in on surgeries with sports medicine physicians, but trauma is a lot different and it's not meant for everybody there. I think it takes a special person. I'm pretty blessed to be kind of that special person that trauma and I just kind of mesh. And uh, I love my patient demographic. I love my patient population. Um, a lot of people that just need a lot of help. And it's one of those things where I just love to be able to support them and coordinate their care as much as possible. So here I am, you know, um, being able to share with you and share with everybody else kind of what this setting means to me and, and kind of how I got here. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and I think that can kind of lead us into, you know, a little bit more of your background in the physician setting. So I'm in a sports medicine clinic uh, department within, and then also uh, working as we're kind of helping to hoping to build it out, work with our orthopedic surgeon, who's also a sports med physician and, Ultimately, I think not currently it's in the cards to necessarily get into the OR and, you know, do all those type of things, but that could be a thing down the line. Just how has that evolved in your own career, kind of working from that and then to really get in, you know, to orthopedic trauma as an athletic trainer? I don't know that many, I know for me, like I, you're, you're the first one that I've met, I'm fairly certain that have gone and done that. So how do you yeah. know? How do they kind of end up in that one specifically? And that'll tie into a lot of the other questions we have. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it, you know, I think as a lot of people can connect with, like in, in athletic training, it's such a small world that it really kind of depends on who you know and, and the timing and, and everything and kind of how things happen to you. So um, I, I was fortunate to, to meet some awesome mentors. And one of my biggest mentors was Tate Erickson. He ran the athletic training fellowship program which is now they're called residencies, but the athletic training uh, fellowship program at the Stedman Hawkins Clinic in Vail, Colorado. And mm-hmm. I, I remember I had actually applied um, right after undergrad and I hadn't even taken the test yet. I mean, I was a long ways away from being where I am at now. And I applied, I still have the letter of, you know, basically saying, sorry, we didn't select you for the Stedman Hawkins uh, fellowship, but ended up reapplying um, several years later, Tate kind of ran that program he was a a fellow and then he ran the program and then we uh, connected in New Hampshire and built a pretty good program there at the Dartmouth Hitchcock Center um, in in Keene New Hampshire and then he kind of just molded me a little bit towards that that kind of uh, physician practice mold that that the fellowship really kind of does and so um, with his help got into uh, got an interview and completed the one-year fellowship in Vail and then worked with another physician fellow in sports medicine and you know I always wanted to be able to scrub into cases and stuff like that and there's so many variables that kind of come into play with whether or not you can scrub in it's you have the credentials like the OTC Um, I know the NATA is coming out with some orthopedic um, specialty certifications um, with regards to kind of you know, furthering the education of specialty in orthopedics. So uh, I was OTC certified, um, started to scrub in some cases, you know, helped with ACLs, rotator cuff, meniscus repairs, meniscectomies, things like that. Um, But it really kind of depends on how the physician and the facility um, 
kind of work together and do they acknowledge that certification and what does that mean? And not everybody acknowledges OTC um, or surgical assist, stuff like that. So there's a lot of different routes that I think athletic trainers can go to, to be able to get themselves into the OR. But I encourage a lot of students um, to be able to do these clinical immersions, which are a requirement for their programs through Katie. I take anywhere from seven to nine students a year to come out and shadow me in the uh, orthopedic trauma rotation and they're there for anywhere from six to 12 weeks i think just to get a taste of that stuff um and we can go into that a little bit later too like you know kind of what my program's kind of about when i do these immersion programs but i think it's important for the students to really kind of see the surgical side of things if that's interesting to them mm -hmm. um each one of these residencies that are out there have kind of this subspecialty like what are they known for and and I think it's important if they're interested in going into this um, setting to look into that setting. Do you have to have a residency underneath your belt to kind of be successful in that setting? I say absolutely not. I think it comes to your training, kind of who you're working with and, you know, kind of the, the trajectory that you want to go on. Um, I'm just fortunate that I was able to do a, a residency um, and to be where I'm at right now. But I think there's just a lot of steps along the way that if you choose to do those you'll be really successful but i don't think you necessarily have to do all of the steps to be successful um obviously my step process my journey wasn't uh the the norm or what i would suggest other people do but it worked for me um but i think it's important to know that you know it's out there this position practice setting is out there it's it's fun it's enjoyable it's super rewarding um but it can play with a lot of different um things for these athletic trainers like what do i want to get out of this career what do i want to be able to provide um and it's not for everybody not everybody likes those settings um but i think for me like being able to scrub into surgeries and see what a meniscus feels like and see the rotator cuff and see how acl reconstructions are done is pretty cool because i think once you understand the surgical side of things you see the injury see the surgery see the uh, rehab and the prognosis it just gives you a better um, education a better mindset to be able to you know plan ahead and and kind of see that and that's one of the things i push with the res with these immersion programs is look at an x-ray understand what caused the injury what no. the injury is and then how are we going to treat it and what's the prognosis like so they kind of get that whole gamut of things to be able to look at when they see that x-ray they automatically in their mind know oh i know how we're going to treat this and what we're going to do for it so it's again it's just a different approach um not saying it's a better um setting than anybody else i kind of sell it that way because that's my job is to sell you know physician practice setting but everybody in their own setting is going to do that and that's what i think makes the athletic training pretty strong is we all want to sell what we do for sure. No, I, to your point about how much you learn, you know, I, I had run a collegiate department for seven years and then came out to the clinic and felt like a complete rookie again. But the amount of yeah. that you see in a given day and MRIs, and we do a lot of ultrasound guided things in the physician practice we have. So just seeing that over and over again, my base knowledge has just grown substantially. Uh, I mean, they're talking, yeah. you know, joints that you just, you probably heard about or learned you know, like, you <laughs> yeah. know, and different things or, you know, that, but you just never really encountered it in an otherwise healthy, you know, young population compared to the big ones. But man, do you learn quick that you, you get humbled that you didn't know as much as you thought you did? That's, that's one of, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the things that I, I really kind of push with the students and, you know, I, I'll, again, I'm my, my route is non-traditional and mm -hmm. uh, to the, to the extreme, but that's one of the things that I tell people all the time. My, uh, I didn't think I was needing to get humbled, but I'm very glad that I did probably within three days or even three minutes of being in the, the fellowship at Seven Hawkins, I got humbled real quick. And oh, I can it, it's, it's a good, good experience, tough at the time, personal at the time, but at one of those things, that's what I ask students when they come here is like, what has been the most humbling experience you coming into this setting? Because a lot of us as athletic trainers, we think we know how to fit a brace. We know how to do this. We know how to do that. But can you actually explain it and have a conversation with the patient regarding it? What words can you use? And so I really stress repetition and routine because if I can walk into a room and I know it's a, you know, 
say it's a bimal ankle fracture with a syndesmotic injury, like I know what my talk's going to be about. Yep. I know how the conversation's kind of going to flow like, and it just makes it easier for me. And it just takes time. And, and a lot of times as us as athletic trainers, we, we don't always have time, even though we spend a lot of time on the job. We don't always have a lot of time. We want that now. We want to be able to be that, have that comfort level now, but it's fun to watch these students kind of transition to um, a lot more confident practitioners, student practitioners and stuff like that, that gear them towards that. And, you know, I just want students to come here, have a great time, learn a lot, uh, but also to go back and tell their program and other students like, wow, this is a pretty cool experience. Um, I learned a lot and then take that to the high school, the traditional, you know, settings um, to the industrial military, whatever, take mm -hmm. that knowledge and go and play with it. And uh, that's really what I do is just give them that a little expansive little bit uh, to, to move forward for that. Yeah, I like what you said about communication. Um, that's one thing I've had to get better at. We do some right. amount of, you know, same day kind of rehab exercises to get people started. You got, yeah. it used to be however long of a conversation that you wanted it to be or the fact that you knew you were going to see that athlete again the next day and condense that down into 15 minutes where you're not only trying to explain it to them, give them the proper cues, but also get them to buy in that this might actually help them when they walk out the door and you might not ever see them again or you'll see them in a couple you know four to six weeks if it's yeah. so yeah that's been a unique challenge with trying to find those things that seem to connect with different people yeah and i that's what i i tell a lot of the students i was like i want you to be able to learn to read people and yeah. what i teach with these with these immersion experiences are what we call soft skills it's the communication yes. it's the listening it's the mirroring it's the reading back um because i think that's a lot of us we hear but we don't really listen um uh, yeah. we take into consideration what the patient's going through uh put ourselves in their shoes and i think you know a lot of programs around the country you know can we get better at working with our students about empathy i don't know if you can teach it i think it's an i think it's an inner inner piece of who you are um intelligence could be something that yeah. you're taught to try and hopefully discover it but yes i i hear you yeah yeah and i i think for me you know i have you know traumas one one of the the kind of running things with one of my MAs that I work with. And, you know, in this setting, I work with medical assistants, I work with nurses, I work with nurse practitioners, PAs, um, and I think they're called APPs now, um, and providers. And so as athletic trainers, we are, I think one of the foundational things that we have about us is we're team players. We've got to work with an assortment of people to be able to collaborate, to come up with a game plan. And I think as an athletic trainer, it's a humbling experience that if we utilize what the resources are around us to be able to plan accordingly for our student athletes or our patients, it just makes the experience so much better. So I just really push experience with our, with our students and for our patients. I don't want them to just say, I'm coming in to see the doctor. I want, I'm coming in to see orthopedic trauma. Orthopedic trauma can be for my medical assistant. He was like, it's an injury. Yeah, it's, it is, but there's a lot more to that. I deal with gunshot wounds, failed suicide attempts, um, patients just stepping off of a curve. I deal with fragility fractures. Uh, I deal with a lot of um, social and economic status issues, um, patients that are undocumented, uh, patients that are, you know, don't have insurance at all. How do I go about that? I have resources. I have an assortment of, of opportunities for these patients to be taken care of and it doesn't necessarily have to go through us so care coordination is a huge thing with being in a bringing a patient in is how can i make their experience so much better and if they need an mri ct try and get it done while they're there just creates a better opportunity and i have a direct link to the emergency room where a majority of my patients come in my nurse practitioners or pas do the ortho consults during the day and so they'll text me or call me and say hey get this patient in so before the patient really is even seen by orthopedics or even before they leave the or or the er they got an appointment to come and see us so okay. it just creates a better experience for the patient and what can we do to take care of them better than when they came in i think that's a, <clears throat> a huge thing for us to take on is what works for our providers what works for the system that we're in so we talked a lot about 
on a kind of a macro level, what you do, what does a normal week look like for you? I mean, you talked about scrubbing into surgeries and being in there, but just, and, you know, working with everybody, if you could just kind of outline that just to, for somebody that yeah. might be curious is, you know, how often is any job kind of a nine to five, but, you know, just general hours or what, just what that week looks like. I think it's, I think it's important to know, because I, again, I'm pretty blessed with the position and the people that I work with. I work four tents and I think across the board, there's not too many athletic trainers that can say that I work four tents. Like as of right now, I work, I don't work on Tuesdays. Um, and then, you know, in September, I'm going to switch that day to Fridays. Um, but with orthopedic trauma, there's clinics five days a week. Um, and it's about working with my staff um, it's not my staff. I just say my staff, but it's working with the medical assistants. Um, and I do have another athletic trainer that again, didn't, didn't go through a residency program or anything like that is, is just was curious and interested to work in the physician practice setting and, and applied for a job. And, and I think she'd be a good candidate and she's rocking and rolling right now. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's important to really work with your staff that no matter who's in clinic they're going to run the clinic the right way. And it's based off of what the providers want, not what I want, not what the MAs want. How can we make the experience better for the patient? So Monday is, is I typically work seven to five. Um, there's certain days I don't have to like pick up my kids early or something like that. I'll stay late and, and get some things done. But realistically, most of the clinics start at 7 a.m. and then um, wrap up around between two and three. So there's a lot of phone calls and triages that you kind of have to balance in between there. But, you know, normal day is, is me rooming patients, ordering x-rays, MRIs, CTs, um, bringing those up, actually talking to the patients a little bit about them, plates and screws, kind of going over the hardware that's inside, um, having a lot of just discussions with the patients. And I haven't done a physical exam in a long time. Um, can I still do a Lockman or a drawer? Absolutely. Uh, but on a patient, I haven't done those for years. Um, but I feel like if you really truly ask the right questions and you listen to your patients, they'll tell you everything that you want to know without even having mm -hmm. to touch them and just being observant of the whole environment, how they're doing their body language, things like that. I think it's important to be able to have, again, those soft skills. I don't teach athletic trainers how to do, you know, physical exams when they come in and do an immersion with this. But my whole approach is a lot different than that. I think they're getting that knowledge in the classroom. I'm going to teach stuff that's just not taught in the classroom. Tuesday's normal day off. Um, but again, I think it's important to push that to the athletic trainers that are watching this. And, and for everybody that's going to listen to it is what value do you put on a day off? What value do you put on something like this that allows you to take care of the stuff for you? Um, and so to me, it's, it took a long time um, for me to learn work-life balance. And I think, again, that's not something that's taught in the classroom. Um, it's something that I think something has to change in your life for you to realize that. Sure. Um, so, you know, what, what is it going to take for you to take care of yourself so you can be the clinician and the provider that you want to be? Um, Wednesday morning is my only admin day. So I get a half day of admin. So in the morning, it's just, you know, taking care of things, paperwork, FMLA, short-term disability forms, work notes, whatnot that needs to be done. Um, and then I have clinic in the afternoon and then clinic all day Thursday and then clinic all day Fridays. Um, and then weekends are off. So, um, no coverages, no outreaches. It's just primarily, you know, clinic based. And so how can I be successful? How can I measure um, data, money, all those things to the organization? What is it that they need from me to be able to say, hey, I'm, I'm a serious part of this uh, patient care um, aspect that we provide here in, in trauma. So as an athletic trainer, how can you sell yourself? How can you provide the data that organizations are looking for? Um, what is it that provides value so that, you know, every day is, is a selling point for me. Like, how can I prove my worth show my worth? Um, and in the hospital setting, it's more indirect revenue than direct revenue. And I think it's important for, again, athletic trainers to understand the difference of those two. So there's just a lot of variables at play when it comes to this setting. But, you know, I'm pr again, pretty blessed that, you know, I work four tens and it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I We've had that discussion here. We don't do four tens, but we're 
basically we're five days and in at seven thirty. I mean, we're, and if we're walking out at four thirty, it's it's late for us as our clinic runs eight to four um, with our physicians currently. So that's been yeah. a big change, and that's one for me personally. I went through, you know, I took a small pay cut to come from the position I had to here, but my hourly rate shot through the roof because I got so many hours of my life back. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and if you look you're, at your home, <laughs> I'm more valuable to myself now just because of that time. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, that's, that's really what I push with the students is to take into consideration. You can see how I do things here at the clinic, take what you want from this venue and this, this experience and, and push it towards what you want to do. But I think at the same time, it's giving them an opportunity to kind of figure out what it is that I, I'm looking for. And what, again, what value can you put off on being home at five o'clock? And if you have a family, kids, like being able to pick them up from school and all those things. And it's like, I'm not working those late long hours. Um, and that's a tough sell for a lot of people and justifications and all that. So I think it's, that's a whole nother topic, but I think that's a, a good thing for me is like, you know, the days off, you know, I'm getting my pilot's license. So on my days off or on the weekends, I'm flying airplanes and I'm doing things that I've always wanted to do. Now, my kids are slightly getting a little bit older. They're nine and seven. So it's like, you know, they're off at school and they're off at school. I'm going to go take care of myself. So. Perfect. Uh, we kind of talked about just kind of briefly, you know, unique certifications or trainings you know, for the different duties you had. You mentioned OTC and then, yes, the BOC with their kind of specialized one that they're putting out. Um, I yeah. know a colleague I've had actually went back to school to become a surgical tech, uh, decided that that wasn't really for them, and now is back into the AT realm. But if somebody were kind of looking to you know, beef up their resume if they didn't go through a residency or, you know, the, it's a highly competitive, so they just want to maybe enhance their skills. Are there other ones out there that you've seen or you've done or you'd recommend or even just general workshops or knowledge that you've gone through that would be beneficial? Yeah. I think, I think it, it takes a serious little bit, it takes a little bit of time for serious thought of like what the athletic trainer wants to be able to do with their career. Where do they see their projection going? Mm -hmm. um, you know, for me, yeah, I, I had the OTC, um, but I let it lapse because it, I don't feel like it was necessarily benefiting me, working for me. I wasn't utilizing it. Um, a lot of times there may be some um, misinterpretation of what its value is. And what its value is, is basically dependent on the facility and the organization in which you're trying to utilize it, um, whether or not they recognize it. Um, and a lot of times when people have the OTC, they think they're casting and splinting specialists. And to, and to me, in my opinion, it's more surgical based. Um, you have surgical skills. Yes, you have the casting and splinting stuff. But realistically, that OTC is a little bit more towards, you know, the certification of, uh, for surgery. And then they have the surgery certification of that after a year of, of work with it. Then you can start to suture and close alone when you have the surgical certification. I think we'll see how these BOC um, orthopedic creden specialty credentials kind of work and benefit. Um, it's just whether or not organizations will recognize it. Um, I think we just have to give it some time um, to kind of see how it's going to flourish. I have a lot of friends and colleagues that kind of worked on that. Um, so it's been a lot of long days and hours working on questions for the exam and the development of it. So I think there's been a lot of progress with that. Um, there's the, an orthopedic PA program out there certification, again, just whether or not the organization is going to recognize it and what are you going to utilize it for? And I think it's important to kind of look into that, um, and, and kind of see, cause like with the OTC, what was a little concerning for me was just, you, you had to pay for each CEU as you submitted them. And so on top of going to all this, you know, these conferences and getting the CEUs, now you're having to pay $2 per CEU to submit that. And sometimes those costs can just elevate um, and kind of, you know, push pay, push people to be like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I just wasn't using the OTC. So I 
let it lapse because I, I, I've worked at the hospital setting for seven years with trauma and I have yet to even be in an OR. I haven't even watched one of the surgeries yet. I've just been so busy and it's a teaching hospital. So there's, you know, quite a few people in the OR already. And, you know, the more numbers, the higher the infection rate. So to me, I'd rather have my patients have a better outcome with less infection rates than me watching a surgery. I'll take care of them on this side of things. Um, but I think, again, it, it's in seriousness, I, I think it just really depends on kind of the the approach that the athletic trainer has, where they see themselves, and do they feel like that certification or credential will benefit them. Um, but I wouldn't just get the credential to have it because you may not be able to utilize it um, with the institution that you're with, but down the road, maybe. Um, so I think it's something that we continue to kind of discuss and work with and, and kind of see how athletic trainers can evolve around those or with those. Um, because, you know, right now you look at my credentials, I'm a, I, I have my college, you know, my MS, and then I have my ATC and my LAT. And, you know, I work, you know, being in Colorado, we've kind of had some fluctuations with the uh, licensing and stuff like that. So um, I think it's important to, to focus on that too. But at the same time, like, you know, I don't have any of those, subs, you know, those specialty certifications and, and I'm doing okay. Absolutely. I think that's a, good point to make is that yes they can be complimentary but not always required yeah uh, where do you see the future of this setting specifically going for the profession obviously we referenced the boc certification and how that may have an impact and then just really the impact of this setting on the profession you know loosely following it on some at social media it seems like there's a shortage of ATs to fill jobs and I was just clicking through a bunch of them on the career center the other day and I, I can understand as to why um, with a lot of them that are posted why they may not be getting filled but how do you see this ATs in this setting and where that's going to go I mean I think we I mean we're in a good spot right now athletic trainers in the physician practice center because there's opportunity uh, for us to kind of keep pushing this and I think that's again while I'm pushing it to have students come out and shadow. I think I'm just trying to gain some exposure for other athletic training programs to kind of have their clinical educators kind of allow students uh, to, to venture out um, and to kind of see what other opportunities there are rather than just around where their school's at. Um, but I think as we, if, if we continue to offer, you know, these residency programs, there's a lot more now than when I did them. Um, and I think just having that educational experience that's just a little extra out there for them, I think would be beneficial. But again, everybody's entitled to have those opportunities. So whether you're in the high school, college, collegiate, performing arts, whatever, you can still do a, a residency. And I think those are super beneficial because you just the value of which you are able to take from those programs. Um, but I think we, you know, there's the, there's the society athletic trainers and the physician practice society is, is out there. It's been functioning for, you know, the last four or five years. I'm the sponsorship chair as of right now, uh, working with a lot of the educational teams, the finance team, the IT team. It's working again as a team player within the society to get the athletic trainers what they're looking for, um, content wise, job market wise. So we're really focused focused on providing education, um, mentorships, preceptorships uh, with regards to athletic trainers that are interested in this physician practice society. And so um, we continue to push for the content with that. And it's just solely focused on that. And I think, you know, we just keep pushing with the uh, NATA and, and, and keep working with a lot of organizations to kind of promote athletic training in this setting. Um, I think it's just going to continue to get better and better. And I think you're going to see a lot more athletic trainers, you know, looking at this setting because of how rewarding it is um, because of what you can get out of it. And again, not taking anything from the high school, the collegiate settings, they have their own basically benefit programs um, that they use. But I think it's important to know that, you know, yeah, there, there are a ton of athletic trainers that are interested in this setting. And it's like, we just have to keep working with them and keep creating opportunities for them to learn and to be able to grow and, and go to these conferences and really kind of educate doctors as well that, mm -hmm. you know, this may be a benefit for your practice. And again, it's, it's, it's slowly getting out there. And I think we we're gaining some ground pretty good. So. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it could be a unique opportunity. And I don't know if this is a nationwide thing, but from what I've heard, um, even locally, you know, the struggle to get nurses 
there just seems to be a shortage of them to fill spots too. So especially in some of these orthopedic sports med clinics where an athletic trainer is so versatile, yeah. so many things that, you know, it, it just, it is a game changer for a lot of places and just makes the efficiency run so much higher. Yeah. And I, you know, that's one of the things that I really have the students look at is just, just watch and learn and listen to how these clinics are ran and, you know, whether they have any experience, you know, walking into a clinic and room and patients or anything, but what little things can mean so much um, across the board, across the day, across the year for, for these providers um, just to have opportunities to, to treat more patients. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create exposure to be able to have a more efficient, more effective practice in orthopedics or non-surgical um, sports medicine um, all across that board. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's, Athletic trainers actually working in oncology, so it doesn't have to be just orthopedics. That athletic trainers have that skill set to be able to kind of be cross genres or subspecialties to be able to provide that same level of care. And our, our, you know, to me, we just can be a great collaborator and you know work with multiple disciplines, you know, across all kinds of different settings. And I think that's what we need to continue to promote is just the flexibility. But also the understanding that, you know, we don't have to work 80 hours to show our worth. We can work to, you know, show our worth in, in 40 or less. Agreed. Totally agree on that one. Um, kind of the last question I had is, you know, you talked about the promotion of this setting, um, you know, and trying to get the exposure not only to athletic trainers, but to physicians. Um what have you learned specifically in trying to promote this setting that I'm sure applies across kind of the broader scope of the profession? I'd just be curious because you have spent a lot of time kind of promoting this specific setting. If there's things that you've taken away that you found to be most useful. I think, you know, so I go across the country and, and try to connect with um, athletic training programs um, across the country, again, just to promote this setting. And I kind of been doing that kind of on my own. There's, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting, you know, compensated by anybody to, to kind of go out and do this. It was just kind of one of those things because there were so many people that helped me. Um, and I think that's one of the driving forces is, is to give back. And the athletic trainers that helped me be who I am today in my profession, um, this is my kind of, you know, you know, nod to them that says, hey, thanks for going out of your way and spending many, many hours um, to help me be successful in this program is for me to go across the country and say, hey, here's what I'm doing in orthopedic trauma. Does it interest you? Is it something that you're, you know, you'd be willing to come out and hang out with and kind of watch and learn and, and kind of do that? So I, just creating opportunities. Um, our clinical immersion sites on the NATA website, uh, we have our own um, you know, website with the University of Colorado Hospital. We have our own residency program for athletic training um, as well. So kind of just promoting kind of that whole, you know, advanced education per se of kind of experiences. But, you know, to me, I just want to be able to create an opportunity for athletic trainers to be able to say, hey, I have an, a venue to be able to say, hey, I can make a difference. And so when I have students come in, I only, I only have one requirement for them. You know, what they come and get out of it is up to them. Their commitment is up to them. But I said, your only requirement is at some point in your life that you give back to, to something or somebody and to try and just keep that moving and keep that going forward. Because this is my way, again, of giving back to the people that helped me um, kind of overcome the fact that I couldn't pass the test, didn't have the knowledge to pass the test, but me acknowledging that I needed the help to um, be able to do that. So I really kind of pushed that. Um, but I love talking to students about just a different aspect of athletic training and different aspect of level of care. So when I do my talks, I really kind of get into it. And I was like, you know, we can have an opportunity to impact patients' lives. So for the last four years, when, you know, when I kind of decided to have this, you know, work-life balance shift in my career, um, I was like, here's my goal. I want to leave an impact. I want to impact somebody's day every single day at, while I'm at work. And for the last four years, I feel like I've hit that. I've knocked it out of the park, but it's given me a different side to kind of push towards a different vision. Like, I just want to be able to help people out while I'm 
on the phone with them face to face through an email. I want to be able to say like, I helped them out. I did what I was supposed to do while I was here. Um, and to be able to leave that lasting impression, but again, giving them a good experience rather than just, Oh, I called and talked to my doctor today. Like I want them to be like, Hey, I called and talked to Dan today. He was really great with this. My team was great with this. My providers are great. Um, but one of the things that I, I do is I do these empathy talks with my patients and, you know, it's, it's kind of got the name Dan talk now at, at the place that I work. Um, but it's about going in and listening to the patient. What are they, what are they needing to, in order to be successful? What do they need to be able to get through this hard time that they, that they need? Do they need social work? Do they need um, benefits, um, a place to stay? There's homeless shelters all across this uh, area that I, that I work. Um, can I get them a bed? So this, it's working with a, a bunch of different subspecialties, social work, um, other aspects in the hospital, um, giving them food vouchers for people that haven't eaten for a while. It's like, what are you willing to do to go out of your way to make somebody's day a little bit better, a little bit easier mm. um, to be able to help them through that? So I'll go in and I'll talk to these patients for a good chunk of time. And, you know, it's easy for me to do this. Yes, it takes time, but it's taken the, the time away from the physician to go and see other patients. And then this patient has a good experience. Everybody gets my card. Everybody gets my my phone number to my desk. Um, so they have a live person that they can talk to. Um, and I just, I take pride in that. And I take pride in the fact that I can leave a lasting impression on somebody, hopefully a good one, um, to be able to give them the confidence that we know what we're doing. And, you know, I always tell people, I just feel like I run a different orthopedic practice. And again, not that it's better than anybody else, but this is just what is successful for us. Sure. Um, and I've been with the same doctors for seven years now, and we just have a really, really good relationship. It's fun. It's professional. Um, we do stuff outside of clinic together. So we really know each other. And I think that's important too, is establishing rapport and relationship with who you're working with and, and taking care of them. Sounds awesome. Sounds like a great place to work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anything else you wanted to cover around the, your, your work in this practice uh, that we haven't gotten to? Uh, and if not, we can jump into the AT chat questions. Let's, let's get those questions. I'm good for that. I feel like, you know, if anybody wants to reach out and talk about clinical immersions or any other stuff like that, I'm sure you'll have my contact information on there. If not, I can definitely give it to you. So, yes, we'll ask for that in just a minute so we can make sure we sure. let them all. So, all right, first question, um, and you, we've kind of talked about this, but we'll see on more of a macro scale, is where do you see the profession of athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? As a whole, hopefully continuing to expand. And, you know, I think we're still pushing that safe schools aspect. I think we're pushing for high schools to have athletic trainers. I mean, we're in two-a-day stuff now. If, if they're still doing two-a-days, I haven't been in a high school setting for so long. I don't know if they're even doing two-a-days. But at the same time, like preventing death in the, you know, the high school, you know, transition of summer, you know, not doing a whole lot to now we're playing football and these two a days things, you know, we're, we're still struggling with how do we manage that. So I think the more athletic trainers that we can have in the high schools is setting a good foundation for that. Keep pushing the athletic training, um, different settings, you know, the military, the high schools, the colleges the uh, physician practice setting, performing arts, the industrial settings, like there's just continuing to be opportunity for us. How do we get into those settings? So like non-op sports medicine clinics, primary care sports medicine clinics can still benefit from having an athletic trainer on site. Again, it's just providing a different level, not that we're going to be taking anybody's jobs, but just providing a different level of uh, care expertise and how we can work together with other subspecialties. So I think it's an aspect, important aspect to continue to look at and say, okay, how can I make a difference? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing and how I'm supposed to be doing it? I hope so. Um, but I just want to continue to promote it, continue to sell this 
Um, and also, you know, athletic trainers, there's athletic trainers out there wanting to use this as a stepping stone to other careers. Great. Keep advancing your career for what you want out of it. I think that's important too, is, you know, use this as a, a stepping stone. I, I'm fine with that. Am I successful in athletic training? I think so. And I, I'm going to stay in this setting, uh, but others use it to kind of get them where they want to go. And I think that's absolutely totally fine with that. So I think we're going to continue to get bigger and bolder. Um, we have a new president now, maybe a different direction, who knows, but I think, you know, a new set, set of fresh eyes and ears on everything. This is just going to continue to, to get bigger and better. I think. For sure. What advice would you give to yourself as a younger athletic trainer? If you could go back and if you can set when that would be in your younger self. You know, I, I, I've actually, when you sent that list over to me, I thought about that. And like, would I go back and tell myself, study, go to an accredited school, like actually pass the test on the first time? No, I wouldn't do that. I would actually stay that same course. Like I've learned so much from not passing it for five times that has kept me motivated to continue to push other athletic trainers. Whereas maybe if I would have passed it the first time, I wouldn't be as motivated. I don't know. So what I tell myself is just to stay strong, stay motivated, reach out, continue to ask for help, continue to develop my um, network of people that I can rely on for support. But I think the biggest thing for me is the work-life balance. Like, how can I take care of myself so I can take care of others? You know, I can't take care of myself and, and take care of my kids if I don't take care of myself. Um, so I think that would be the biggest thing that I would continue to put my, push myself. And that's what I push with a lot of the students that they're in their early 20s is how can you take care of yourself? That's not something that we kind of push at that age. We're more geared towards a lot of other things. But when I was in my 20s, I didn't know how to, you know, that wasn't my thing. Like, yeah, you kind of have that lifestyle. You're out of college. Like, what do I do? Like, I think right now it'd be, all right, how do I manage work-life balance and be good at it so it doesn't affect me when I'm in my 30s and 40s? What has been the most influential resource you've found in your career? Oh, that's a good one. Um, definitely definitely the, the friendships and the networks that I have collaborated with over the years. There's you know, my uh, two really good close friends, Tate and Thad, I talked to those guys. I literally, we text every single day and they're athletic trainers and they're athletic trainers in a different realm. Mm -hmm. um, one's, one's in administration, one's in prosthetics and, and bracing. And, and I think it's important again to, they don't all have to be in the same setting for us to be able to collaborate and talk about things. Like we don't hardly talk about athletic training. We talk about life. We talk about how are we taking care of our kids? How are we taking care of ourselves? Like, what is it that motivates us every single day? And I think having that tight knit group of, of friends that you can rely on, um, it's important as we get older that, that they're there for us. And I think I would, you know, that's another, probably another thing I would kind of push my 20 year self is to establish that good core group of friends that I feel like would be there for the, the long haul. And so I think having those established networks and connections has, has been ideal and, and uh, definitely mentorship. And then for me to be able to say, I want to do the same thing and teach these students how to have somebody there to, to help guide them if they need it and be a mentor and a preceptor. That seems to be a common answer um, that we've come across on the show. So yeah. it's good to get it reinforced. Yeah. If you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice, a mindset, or whatever of your choosing in the field of athletic training, what would it be? I think what I've kind of learned along with some other athletic trainers is just if we're, if we're thinking about rehab in itself, which is a very broad topic, I don't want to focus on just the ankle. If they, if they broke their ankle, I don't want to just focus on their ankle. I want to focus on the whole body. Is the whole body functioning really, really well? And I had a good friend, good mentor that really taught me that and kind of showed me the benefits of that. And he went to the Gary Gray Institute of Functional Assessment and, and just kind of being able to really kind of assess the whole body. And, and I always push core and glute exercises. And, you know, that really wasn't taught to me in a lot of my rehab education that it was essentially self-taught. Um, 
it was just like focusing on that one spot that was hurt. Let's focus on the whole body and make sure the shoulders and balance in the back and core are all good. The ankle will take, you know, take some more time to heal, but let's get all the other stuff functioning a little bit better and see if we can get that whole body to function as a whole uh, to really benefit each other. So that's what I would continue to push is to kind of focus on getting that whole body um, assessment to be looked at and kind of getting it a little bit more functional. Couldn't agree more with that one. And again, same, similar story. I had, had to kind of figure that one out on my own and feel like I've wasted a lot yeah. of time figuring it out sooner. Uh, last question is, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Kind of goes back to that having an opportunity to impact somebody's life and be, you know, a positive influence in their life. You know, I, again, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty blessed to be able to have students all across the country come out and shadow me um, at the University of Colorado Hospital in our orthopedic trauma department. They come out here and hang out with me. And I just hope that I can influence them as much as the people that influence me, whether it's my parents, my brothers, um, friendships. Um, co-workers things like that like you know I just want to make sure that I'm leaving a lasting impression um, for the people I come into contact with um, to the patients I deal with like that's kind of one of those things I want to I want to impact somebody's life and uh, hopefully they'll return the favor and we just kind of see that trend going and it's kind of one of those 26 ways of giving back like if you know you're at a fast food place and you pay for your meal and pay for the person behind you I bet mm -hmm. you you, you, as you slowly pull away, they're going to pay for somebody else's meal. And hopefully that trend just keeps going and going and going. Um, and how good that actually, try to, you know, how good that actually makes you feel that you started a little something like that. And maybe it's going to continue for a little bit. At some point, it's going to stop. But then, hey, let's do it again. And so that's that's me. I'm bringing students in to hopefully impact them in a positive way. And they'll take that back with them and do it to somebody else. Love it. Perfect. Um Kind of just to wrap up, uh, if people wanted to connect with you, what would be the best way or follow you on social media? And we'll link all this up on the episode page, but just so you can shout it out now. Yeah, so it's it's Thunder Dan and the letters ATC um, at Twitter. Um, and then that's my email account as well. It's thunderdanatc at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to uh, give me a shout out there and we can definitely connect. and. Uh, go from there so yeah it's been an off you know it's been awesome to be able to connect with you and uh, be able to be on this and hopefully people can listen to it and have a bunch of questions and it just leads to further discussion absolutely i appreciate you taking the time and um being patient with me to get this actually uh, so absolutely man awesome well thank you very much and i look forward to chatting with you again that sounds great thanks joel